Here's to the finest crew in Starfleet. Engage. Welcome to The Greatest Generation, a Star Trek podcast by two guys who were a little bit embarrassed to have a Star Trek podcast and are, as ever, grateful to have a great opening line description to their show. I'm Adam Pranica. <laughs> I'm Ben Harrison. Ben, you and I are uh, are working on a side project, and boy, I am so happy that we have a show with a intro that we're <laughs> that we're sticking to the entire way through. Well, I don't want to say too much about our side project, but I kind of feel like the intro not being a th- established is is becoming a fun bit on that side project. It's so frustrating. <laughs> I say I say yes and it and enjoy it. We make it seem so effortless on this show when really uh there is a huge amount of effort especially when uh when I misconstrue the time we're supposed to record based on our <laughs> separate time zones. Yeah. Uh you'll be happy to know that I'm in Studio C next to a giant mound of laundry. Nice. Let it never be said that podcast recording isn't glamorous. And it most certainly is. We uh we are recording this less than 7 days from when it will go out. And we try to make a pretty evergreen show here, but something uh something is happening in Star Trek news that I wanted to see if you were interested in discussing with me. I'm always interested in discussing Star Trek news. Our podcast being the foremost source for Star Trek news. Right. This is where the people go. And for always it. has been. Well, I mostly just want to like bellyache at a at a perceived slight, which is that Star Trek Discovery's trailer came out and they also announced that there's going to be an after show called Talking Trek. And no mention has been made of us potentially being the hosts of it. Nobody has reached out, nothing. Well, if we've been shaming ourselves on in public for a year and a half now, <laughs> if the same amount of forethought uh, <laughs> that was put into discovery has been put into the after show, I'm not sure they've even staffed that production yet. Yeah, do they even know who's hosting it? Well, they they gave it a terrible name, which is Talking Trek. I mean, give me a break. Yeah, our, the name of our show is going to be. Uh, it almost goes without saying, much, much better. Yeah. I think we have I think we have something pretty good chambered. Um, it's going to be, that show is going to be so far in the pocket of Big Rod, it's going to produce some chafing. Yeah. Yeah. He's gonna, be, Big Rod's going to have to powder that stuff. Yeah. <laughs> there'll be a lot of talking going on in the... There's uh, going to be an outline in the pocket. <laughs> it's it's going to be so tightly in there. Yeah. Oh yeah, you get those like nice like a uh, can in- of skull indigo jeans, and then you let them fade naturally. Yeah, yeah. You can tell which one has a too big wallet or is a mm. smoker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What did you, did you get to look at the trailer? Uh, I did look at the trailer. I looked at it only once. If that's an indication of anything, you didn't hit repeat. <laughs> I don't know. It's hard because like that cast is great. Yeah. Don't don't have any bones to pick about the cast. There's just you know there's a lot of trust to put into the behind the scenes people, and by behind the scenes people, I'm talking about that writing staff. That's a huge burden. 
Yeah. That's a that's a lot of power to be wielding, and uh, I guess there's nothing about the trailer that either gives me hope or fear about it so far. I mean, that's, that's it was thing. a lot of sizzle without a lot of substance. Uh-huh. Yeah, which is I, a smart move on their part, I guess. I get the same feeling every time I see a trailer for one of the uh, one of the J.J. Abrams lineage Star Trek films, which is like, well, it looks like a fun movie. Like it doesn't make me feel like. Star Trek is in safe hands, though. Like, people that understand Star Trek. One thing I'm really worried about is that they won't understand that th- there needs to be a slice of cheese in Star Trek. You know, sure. it can't just be a beef sandwich. There seems to be no observance of loaf cannon, either. Yeah. Well, loaf cannon has been has been problematic from from basically the introduction of the movie Klingons, right? I think the... The most recent time I ever had hope for Star Trek was the first 10 minutes of the J.J. Abrams Star Trek. Yeah. Which I think was a highlight of the last 10 years of what that show or movie franchise could be. Why can't it be that good ever again? Yeah. I don't I, know. I, I do like to rewatch the beginning of that movie from time to time. <laughs> That's it's hard, hard to make it all the way through. <laughs> not just for a Star Trek movie... That is a great opening 10 minutes to any movie. Yeah. I remember, like, actually getting choked up in a theater at that 10 minutes. I was like, oh, my God. I was completely unprepared for that. Yeah. Got right into the heart. It was great. I mean, and and there's other things that I like about that series. Like, the, I think that they have a lot more fun with turning the camera upside down and playing around with the weightlessness of space than Star Trek ever has. Um, I think the cast is fabulous. Yeah, great cast. Um, You know, I think that the stories are generally pretty fun. I think they're pretty brain dead, though. That's the challenge, right? Yeah. The question in my mind is, will Star Trek Discovery manage to have smart writing? And there's no reason it shouldn't. There's plenty of smart writing in television. And... And, you know, I think a smart writer's room will realize that there needs to be a slice of cheese in there with the beef. What would be so frustrating is for this show to fail based on the writing, because the last five years have wrought the best television we've ever seen. And for this show to fail at a time when there's so much good TV, I think would be a massive disappointment. Like, like the talent pool for television writing has never been deeper. It's great. Yeah. The the thing that maybe worries me the most about this is that they've sold the overseas rights of it to Netflix, which paid for everything. Hmm. So CBS doesn't really have any strong incentive to blow this one out of the water. You know, like the they they have it's kind of like taking all of the back end incentive out of the equation. Like, yeah, they'd like to get people to sign up for their little streaming service, but it, they're not betting their future on it. You know, it's not like um, like when the Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. TV show came out mm-hmm. or was about to come out. I had a conversation with a guy I know who happens to be a, a television executive, and I was like, that looks like it's going to suck. And he's like, it won't. It can't. Like, like Marvel and 
and Fox are betting the farm on that show. They're going to spend a ton of money and make sure it's really, really good. Because it's like the first foray Marvel is making with, you know, such with their brand name onto television in a long time. And they have this whole new, you know, set of, of goals surrounding it. So it's not, was it on Fox? Was Maybe it was on something else. I don't remember, but but you know, like he he basically made the case that it was too big to fail, and and I you know like I know that Star Trek has been a super lucrative franchise for Paramount and now CBS over the years, but like I don't know that uh, I don't know that they treat it that way. They seem almost embarrassed by it, and who could who could possibly be embarrassed by Star Trek, Adam? The Star Trek story for the last. 10 or 15 years is that the truth is Star Trek has failed all the time. Yeah. It is not too big to fail. It's just too big to go away. (laughs) Well, you know, I'm cautiously optimistic. I'm deeply offended. And I think you said it best, Adam, on Twitter that uh, with this with this after show, they made two mistakes. They double crossed us and they left us alive. (laughs) (laughs) They will rue the day, Adam. You know, this whole preamble, I think, was a good idea to go along with, because I find there isn't too much to talk about in today's episode. <laughs> it's it's season six, episode 13, Aquiel. This is becoming a speech. You're the captain, sir. You're entitled. Hmm. I'm entitled to ramble on about something everyone knows. Ben, this might be something that we return to, like, after we we do normal pod about the ep. But as I was watching this episode, I began to grieve for my long-held belief that you can pull off a Star Trek story by just sticking to the idea that Star Trek is a place. <laughs> I think this episode utterly fails that hypothesis. <laughs> and it and it and my blood ran cold once I realized that. I feel like it's it's an interesting case study in an episode that starts brimming with possibility and like almost every turn it makes is a turn for the worse. <laughs> you just can't make Jordy the center of a story without the creepy vibes, you know, pegging the needle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's definitely not the creepiest he's ever been, but I think that in the context of all of the episodes we've seen that he's been the center of up till now, it's like somebody on the on the sex offender registry moving into your neighborhood. It's just like, I just feel uncomfortable with this. Well, in the same way that like everyone on the street would would like operate from the position of let's just keep an eye on that house. <laughs> like like the rest of the st- of the senior staff in this episode are basically looking at Jordy with with eyes askance like they're they're keeping an eye on him because even they know yeah they're not wrong so the episode opens up with the entrepreneur pulling into a uh an angle parking space in front of a comms relay station this is like a little little tiny federation outpost floating in space that uh had a a two-person staff, two Starfleet lieutenants were like essentially marooned in this thing. <laughs> like, it seems like a huge punishment. Yeah. Well, it's and it's funny because like when they start going through their 
service records of the two people later. Yeah. The, the lady has the kind of service record that you would think might lead to getting stationed somewhere like this. But the guy is like an exemplary officer, you know? <laughs> like, like yeah, what did that guy do? Yeah. Not only what did that guy do, what did that actor do? Because all you see is his face. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Poor guy. Poor dude. He auditioned for the part and all they took was his headshot. This station, in addition to being so tiny, it's like the, the corporate office park station of, of like Starfleet. There's the, the iconography of the Federation inside, but it's so small and plain and sparse. And even the condo is like half the size of what it would be on the entrepreneur. Yeah. It, it seems like it would drive anyone crazy. That's, that's one thing I thought of. Is there not enough people that want to be in Starfleet that they couldn't just put <laughs> like three dozen people out there doing this job and have it be a super cushy, easy job just so that everybody isn't going crazy all the time? The problems that that are revealed for the people who staff this station seem familiar to anyone who's worked out in the boonies. Like, yeah. how scary is it to be out in the middle of nowhere and, like, a random car drives by? <laughs> or maybe that car yells something as it drives by. Yeah. Like, when you're really out there in space, any ship uh, could feel like a huge threat. Totally. Yeah, and they're just in, like, a... They're literally in, like, a soda can. Like, yeah, <laughs> they don't got any defenses or anything. If you were one of two roommates in a in a soda can space station, mm-hmm. I think you have to resent the person who brings their dog, right? I love dogs. <laughs> dogs are cool. But man, if it's not your dog and it's someone else's dog and you got to share the space with them, I don't think that's considerate. How do you how do you house train a dog and then take it on a space station? What is the dog when is the dog ever going to feel like it's okay to go to the bathroom? Could they have shown that dog shitting? <laughs> You mean like from a standards and practices perspective? Yeah, yeah. that <laughs> is know. how I mean that. Not unless they got like a BBC voiceover describing the natural wonder of it. That was an extraordinary and powerful and alarming and dismaying thing to see. I couldn't imagine picking shit out of the corrugated metal <laughs> walkway, you know, three times a day. Yeah, there's a lot of textured metal on this station. <laughs> Yeah, so the dog is the only living thing they find aboard. They find they they like look into this like Metal Gear solid looking vent hatch, and the dog is hiding in there. Here's a loose panel. The two lieutenants are nowhere to be found, and they uh, they go upstairs, and on the floor they find some poopy, and uh, it looks like somebody has been phasered to death. With a gore-based weapon. Yeah. Which are some of our favorites. Yeah. So that's the that's the cold open. Like, it's this establishing that this really just unbelievably bleak job exists in this utopian future. And then that, you know, one of them killed the other and left in a, in a shuttle. It's interesting how, you know, for a murder story, everything else about the mise-en-scene is pretty bright, you know? Like, this isn't a lights flickering without the crew being on board environment. There isn't wires hanging from the ceiling. Like, everything is normal, as as, just as if uh, the crew was still there. Yeah, that's true. 
And I think I was wanting a little more of that because it never felt like the stakes were that high in this episode, even though someone had been killed. That's an interesting point. I mean, I noticed that the cinematography was very lovely in this episode, but maybe it's too lovely. It really was. There was a dolly shot that I think started on Riker. It was it was tilted up, and then it panned right into a hole where Worf was. Yeah. And then uh, and then Worf walks down the stairs, and they follow him down. After there was like some really nice sequences in this episode, which are maybe is maybe as kind as I can be. We come back from break. There's this bit of deck plating that has the poopy on it, and they want to analyze the DNA. Um, so they cut it out, and Jordy gets tasked with looking into who's who on the station. And they determine pretty early on that they think that it's this Lieutenant Aquiel that got murdered, right? I'll assume those are her remains, but I need to take the deck plate back to sickbay just to be sure. They don't think it's the dude that got murdered? Yeah, from the, from the jump, they think it's Aquiel. Is that something about, like, they, like, uh, they, like, tricorder the deck plate, and they're like, looks like an Aquiel to me. Riker's like, are you saying you can actually tell whose DNA it is on a surface just by waving a tricorder over it? <laughs> mm. Hey. I'm going to get back to the ship. <laughs> I'll be back in about three hours. I've got to organize my sock drawer and my other <laughs> sock drawer and my other sock drawer. <laughs> Speaking of crew laundry, you know, this is not the first time I've noticed on the remastered version. It doesn't look like Riker's using the woolite for darks on his uniform. <laughs> yeah, he's a little faded. You're right. Uh, a little faded, a little pilling. Yeah. I don't know. Like, I think it's time to give Riker a new uniform. He's, he's probably the most active with that uniform, right? His uniform's probably doing the most work. At containment. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's a support uniform. It, it's basically Spanx. Come on, girdle. Hold. <laughs> <laughs> Frakes actually prefers the old spandex uniform. Yeah, yeah. He's like, oh, we're getting rid of that? <laughs> Come on. He looks great. Um yeah. So Jordy gets uh, the duty of hang out in the apartment of the murdered girl and, like, drink iced coffee and do research on her. like And, and like, lay on her bed. Yeah, pet, like, uh, longingly Feel pet all the dog. textiles. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I guess like, this the... is not a form of, of uh, detective work that you see on... An NYPD blue, or a, or a Law and Order. Yeah, there's not, there's definitely a not an ethos of don't touch anything. This is a crime scene. Yeah, it's like the I opposite. couldn't, I can't imagine Sam Watterson just like laying on a child's bed uh, <laughs> during a murder investigation. Robots are everywhere, and they eat old people's medicine for fuel. Uh, so the her logs are like partially corrupted, so they're having a tough time kind of piecing it back together. But he starts. Starts getting video of her, you know, talking about how she has this kind of conflict of character with Lieutenant Roca, Rocha? Rocher, as in Pharaoh Rocher. <laughs> yeah, Lieutenant Rocher. 
and uh, that's which is also like pretty alien to the world of Starfleet. You know, people people tend to get along and talk through their differences. Yeah, Star Trek's talky. Speaking of talky, Geordi is one of those work talkers. He's by himself, he's fiddling with computers, and he has no inner monologue. Come on, this should be working. The phase inducers are aligned. He's that guy you hear sighing, you know, in your group of friends that's like wanting you to ask him what's wrong. What's what's going on, Adam? Yeah. Like shut up, Jordy. Predictably he starts to kinda catch feelings for this lady. Like at one point Riker's like, What's what's up in here? And he's like, Well, Aquiel is uh telling me about this scary dream she keeps having. And he's like, who? But he makes those Riker eyes where he fully understands what's actually happening. Yeah. This begins like a conflict that persists between Riker and Geordi throughout the episode, which is that Riker is like not about the way Geordi is doing this, but he doesn't ever like intervene until he, I guess, I guess he like gives him a zup and pulls him aside by the, by the elbow and, recommends against it but he's never he's never like you know he never gives an order or anything i don't understand why the chief engineer is being put in charge of a murder investigation (laughs) at all like full stop what what is up with that yeah if it's a computer thing shouldn't data be doing it you need to feel safe and that's harder and harder to do nowadays because robots may strike at any time and a crew of like 1200 people like I love that they just stick one person on the investigation. Yeah. They added four more Geordies to the crime lab. They got Jordy working in shifts. <laughs> <laughs> but they could, they could, like, maybe the Star Trek is a place failure here is not that, is not that this is a bad premise for an episode, but that the characters that are available to the writer's room to put into this scenario aren't... Uh, properly used like it, it perfectly interesting for data be, to be on the computer and then you don't have any creepy fall in love with a, a fake woman vibes happening you'd have a really fun 90 seconds of data totally silently doing an investigation on a, on a workplace computer just typing really fast Yeah, just report it all back, you know, the, the things that Jordy's working on for the first three quarters of the episode. That would be such a fun, weird Star Trek episode. It's sort of like a version of Data's Day, but there's almost no dialogue at all. <laughs> yeah. Well, I like it when they get weird. Yeah. Um, so the other part of this is that she's got some logs about this uh, this Klingon officer that she's little stressed out about and uh he like he like is patrolling this area of the Klingon Federation border and so he he stops by every week or so and uh, what's his name Morag and so, yeah and so they're like well let's look into this Morag angle there's some Klingon DNA around maybe the maybe the Klingons put a hit on these two officers and uh and so Picard like dusts off a a tactic that he has used before, which is call local Klingon government functionary and wave the arbiter of succession thing over the guy's head and get exactly what he wants. Every interaction that Picard has with a Klingon bureaucrat goes great. (laughs) 
Yeah. They, no one seems more disinterested in a functioning bureaucracy uh, than the Klingons at this point. Gowron won't bother with such a minor incident. No, yeah, nobody wants to be on Gowron's bad side. And yeah. Yeah, it's like the easiest thing in the world for Picard to to get one over on these guys. Like, so I was his arbiter of succession. I'm sure that he will be happy to come here and investigate this matter. It's amazing. There's a setting that Patrick Stewart has in his in his delivery and in his mannerisms that is just you could really get super ham and cheese with with his attitude about this, but it's just a smirking. Just a subtle smirk is enough to sell it. You needn't worry about it any longer. He very confidently makes the Klingon guy feel like a little man, and yeah, and uh, you know gets exactly what he wants. And the guy's afraid that Gowron coming and sniffing around will expose that you know he was he wasn't doing the right thing or whatever. So this uh, this Klingon governor comes aboard and he's like, "We didn't kill the girl." <laughs> I can prove it, and then like, like a uh, like a stage magician turns to the to the door on the uh, observation lounge, and in she walks, which is not a reveal that seems terribly realistic. You know, <laughs> that like the first officer and the captain would be like shocked at this Federation person that has come on board without their knowledge. You know, it's. I think it's the first recorded instance of O'Brien knowing something before anyone else. <laughs> like, he's known Aquiel's alive for 20 minutes at this point. Yeah. How Shrink- did he get on board the ship without being detected that way? Yeah, and, and also, like, shouldn't this meeting happen in Six Bay? She is fucked up. She is covered yeah. in cuts and bruises. Like, it's so fucked up that uh, that they, you know, just make her stand there with all these grave injuries and go like explain yourself they really basted her loaf in some <laughs> ketchup it's a good way to lock in moisture adam <laughs> how would you describe this loaf i was trying to put my finger on it uh they look like uh they look like loafy seashells it's kind of nearly not there this loaf you know it's a tiny bit of nose bridge and a little uh little scoop out above each eye and then that's it but she's an alien <laughs> she's really attractive she overcomes the loaf for yeah. sure yeah you see what Jordy sees in her for sure you hardly even see the loaf yeah you can get past it yeah well they don't give her much loaf to act through is the thing you know yeah yeah if they'd made her a nosican and she looked great <laughs> that would be another whole other conversation Adam. I would have questions about myself. I'd have to really do some soul searching at that moment. Are Nosigans just like a super cheap ripoff of the Predator? Boy, it sure seems that way. Like if a Predator could talk, that's a Nosigan, right? Yeah. Predators don't seem like they would hang out in bars, though. Predator would drink you under the table. (laughs) He'd, He'd drink me just as soon as shoot me. Cut off your arm like Carl Weathers. <laughs> what was the first movie moment of violence for you that really, like, as a kid, like, widened your eyes? Do you remember? Because for me, the first scene of movie violence where I was like, oh, man, that's what rated R is, was the <laughs> Predator cutting off Carl Weathers' arm, and Carl Weathers' arm is still shooting the Uzi. <laughs> that was amazing. 
Yeah, that's uh And and for some reason Carl Weathers' arm is still flexing. <laughs> There's still plenty of meat on that bone. Now you take this home, throw it in a pot, add some broth, a potato. Baby, you got a stew going. Yeah, yeah, he's getting a lot of uh vein pumping action despite yeah. the fact that he is not it is not connected to his vascular system anymore. That was incredible. Yeah, that was good stuff. There's, shouldn't there just be a channel that's Predator all the time? I think for a moment that it was. It was on USA Network <laughs> on an eight-hour loop every weekend. It is a guiding principle of a soft-beating face. If you can't find it within yourself, to stand up, tell the truth. You don't deserve to wear that uniform. So first order of business, I guess, for Lieutenant Aquiel, now that she's come on board and been reunited with her dog, is uh, go on a date with Jordy. <laughs> How'd you like that near-death experience to be your reward? (laughs) Yeah, so she has... Her story is that she got... She was, like, doing her her daily whatever, was attacked by Almond Roca, (laughs) doesn't remember much of what happened, but she managed to get in a previa and, like, light out for the territories, and the Klingons caught her in their space, so... And she has no memory of the like interceding forty something hours. So they have this weird date where she sits down with Jordy and he's like, Hey, I know all about you in a really upsetting way and I learned no <laughs> lessons from the last time I did this to a woman. Uh how about a uh how about a cocktail? Much like you can't remember the last forty hours of your life. I haven't remembered any mistake I've ever made with respect to a girl. So <laughs> here I am. Yeah, he's just a, he's like an etch-a-sketch with, with women where you, uh, you shake him out and start over every time. And you could see the car crash coming. Like he's at the bar ordering the drink you know he's ordering. Yeah. Walking it over to her about to spill basically <laughs> everything he learned from her diary. Yeah. I mean, like Leah Brahms, she forgives him, but unlike Leah Brahms, she doesn't really go nuclear before she forgives him. Yeah. She's like, this is so upsetting, but I totally understand. It's part of your job. What you don't know at this point in the episode is that I think the reason she doesn't go nuclear on Jordy is that uh, she needs him as a tool. He's a useful idiot right now, isn't he? Yeah, she's a real Putin type. Yeah. <laughs> Pulling all the strings. Yeah. It's weird because he's in the conversation every time she gets questioned after this. Like, they've been on a date, and he's in the room while Worf and Riker are putting the screws to her about what happened with Roka and the and the Klingons and what, if anything, she remembers about anything. It seems really inappropriate. It seems like maybe Jordy should, like, step aside at this point or uh, announce to her that, like, you know, he's got to follow the chain of command or something. Yeah, I mean, so there's a couple of different suspects, right? And we really are no closer to knowing who killed Almond Roca. It's weird because it's sort of started with them thinking that Roca had killed her. And yeah. now they're trying to figure out who killed Roca. She never quite gets elevated to suspect so much as just like a person that is important to the investigation. Yeah. And and then they bring the they bring uh they bring Morag aboard and he's like the the perfect petulant Klingon who's like totally outraged by the idea that he's being accused of this. 
if only we had a person on the crew who could tell if someone was being dishonest, <laughs> I feel like that person would be really useful at a time like this. Right. Yeah. Why isn't Why isn't this like a Worf and Troy team up to solve a mystery episode? That would be a lot of fun. We never get the buddy cop show that is Worf and Troy. That would be so good. They would be great. They're they're like the yin and yang of cop work. Yeah. I mean, we we totally saw the potential of it in the uh, in the old West episode, and yeah, and it was so squandered in that. And it would be great. It would be fun. Like it's. It's never not fun to see Troy like like batting a, a problem back and forth with somebody because she doesn't yeah. get to do it often enough. I mean, she's been she's been like it seeming seemingly permanently upgraded to back zip at this point. So like, come on, let's get let's get her on the mix. We only have a season and a half left. We're running out of time. <laughs> One person who is instrumental in this investigation is Dr. Crusher, and she has managed to separate the strawberry compote at the end of the breakfast buffet line yeah. from the deck plating, and it's and it's sort of a, a a shallow bowl of dessert topping. Yeah, I uh, I wrote strawberry pudding in my notes, but we'll go with compote, Adam. Yeah. <laughs> In the uh, in the tradition of crushers, she has a uh, she has a delicious dessert here. She's just looking for somebody to offer it to, and but- a little bit like Ghostbusters too. Like she shoots it with some stuff, and it comes alive. And uh, and it like it like goos up. It's like a it's like a stretchy piece of bubble gum, and it reaches out and touches her hand, and then turns into her hand like. It's the it's the bowl of compote with Dr. Crusher's right hand just reaching out of it. It's a real creepy effect. Yeah, and it's a great uh it's a great camera move like from from the like hand just finishing taking shape like panning up to Dr. Crusher in the foreground and she's like holding her hand in the exact same position. It, I mean because it did not appear to have have made clothes around the hand. I mean, I think we're all pretty lucky uh, at the part of her body that it touched. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if she had sat in it, it, it would have been a big problem. Standards and practices. It would have been a big old strawberry butt. Yeah, I mean, between that and the dog taking a poop, standards and practices would never let this let this episode air. That was all in a in a early draft of the show. Yeah, yeah, they. Uh, so they have a fun like uh Jordy's about to get laid scene here where uh this sort of reminded me of the scene in Demolition Man where <laughs> Sandra Bullock tries to have sex with Sylvester Stallone and hey, what do you say we just do it the old fashioned way? Oh, disgusting. She has like a futuristic understanding of what that might be. They like kneel on opposite sides of her bed. I don't know why they're like back on the station, like what what pretense he would have for taking her back over there. Oh, it's because she was shitty murder investigation. Like she just has full reign to go wherever she wants. Well, she was deleting files, right? So he was like confronting her about that. Yeah. But the confronting her about that devolves into a steamy hookup. A Sylvester Stallone style hookup. It's totally like a, like a porno introduction. Like, Hey, I'm here to stop you from deleting those files. (laughs) I don't know exactly what's wrong with the files. I've got something that you can delete with a warm washcloth. 
yeah, so Aquiel uh, describes this thing as a, as a form of lovemaking that will bring Jordy closer than he's ever been to anyone. Which isn't saying much, right? Yeah. Like, it's a uh, it's a pretty large gauge crystal with a flared base at the bottom. Yeah, it looks it it looks like something that would be pretty rough for a first timer. Let's put it that way. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's that's real uh, black belt butt stuff right there. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, that's Riker level butt stuff. <laughs> she blindfolds Jordy in the process too, which is like. <laughs> A couple of different flavors of lovemaking I'm not sure Jordy's familiar with. Yeah, I mean, there are residences here also with the uh, episode where the guy is, like, turning Troy into his into his feelings dump. Mm-hmm. Like, it's, it's a little bit like that ritual. And yeah. uh, they're starting to get the idea that what, what went down here is that there was a, a large creature that has, like, this mimetic property where... It takes the form of of some other life form. It like a it like consumes you and takes your form for a little while until it needs to con- consume somebody else. And they're concerned that that might be what Aquiel is. She is like she's not in fact Aquiel, but this life form that eats people uh, and and takes on their identities. So I think that they're sort of trying to use this scene to imply that oh shit, this entity is going to eat Jordy now and it needs this cockamamie ritual to do it. And so like, like Riker busts in with a dustbuster and he's like, step away now. And Jordy's like, fuck that. I was about to get laid. Like it would be Riker to stop Jordy from getting laid too. Yeah. Riker's the sex police. <laughs> he will enforce consent, whether on his own ship or anyone else's. Yeah. Well, he's not wrong. No, not at but, all. Um, but well, he is wrong. Like he he thinks that she's trying to eat Jordy. I think, and <laughs> what she's really trying to do is bang him. But she, I think, the, like like her only crime is that she just doesn't really fit in in Starfleet. Yeah, but like, fuck all of the evidence that they gave for that in this episode. Like, <laughs> she's quirky. She's like the Zoe Deschanel of of Starfleet. Like, yeah. there's nothing. There's nothing dark about her quirkiness. It She's never a manic, makes her a suspect. dream girl. Yeah. Yeah, she plays the ukulele. <laughs> she has terrible taste in novels. <laughs> um, so Jordy, like, like uh, I guess they, they, like, take her into custody and they put her and the Klingon commander into custody and they're going to, like, watch and see if one of them turns into this beastie. And so Jordy goes back to his apartment and he's hanging out with the dog trying to get a little work done and uh the dog starts like wanting to wanting to play tug of war with the leg of his pants go lay down and the dog goes over and sits on the floor and one of the worst morph effects i've ever seen (laughs) they uh they make this dog morph into like a slime blob from a bad sega genesis role-playing game if you loved the Wesley and the Werebear episode effects, <laughs> you'll really love this morph. <laughs> It'll really and appeal it, to you. It sort of morphs into like a golden grimace from yeah. uh, from the McDonald land. 
I was like, thinking... it's sort of a bouncy. Did you ever play that video game, A Boy and His Blob, with that no. jelly bean monster? No. Well, not a great game, but uh, I shouldn't but run out think and find that. a find a ROM to emulate. Yeah, yeah, I would <laughs> recommend against that. Um, it sort of I looked mean, to me like they were kind of doing a dress rehearsal for Odo from Deep yeah. Space Nine. They they saw this effect and they're like, let's make this guy a main cast character. <laughs> we could do this all the time, you guys. This looks great. You know, we could just stick him in a bucket. That'd be great. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the DNA of that is in this episode. Yeah. Jordy's really got to run through all the phaser settings before he gets to gore. Yeah. There's no stunning this blob. I thought it would have been cool to run out of the room and seal it, because you want to study this thing, right? Yeah, I mean, the way that Crusher puts it in the in the six bay earlier, like, the idea of this thing existing is has been purely speculative up to this point. Get at least a tricorder reading off of it before before you vaporize it. Also, I mean, you could allow Geordi to be killed by it, and then... And then you could study it after. I think that's an acceptable loss. <laughs> Worf wouldn't wouldn't have any problem signing off on that. LeVar Burton can stay on the show. He will just be the coalescent organism version of Geordi. <laughs> <laughs> and in that. a weird way, he's no less creepy. <laughs> <laughs> just creepy in a different way. Yeah. Creepy in a sleeps in a bucket kind of way. Well, one person that is not creeped out by Geordi, apparently, is Lieutenant Aquiel, who goes on a civilian clothes date with him after all yeah. of this. That's how you know it's serious. Yeah, she puts on, like, crazy arm jewelry, and he puts on a green, like, I don't know. It's like, like, it's like, like army sweater with the, with the shoulder patches. Yeah, it's it's like... It's like cloth that wouldn't be used for a Starfleet uniform, and then they just tried to make a Starfleet uniform out of it. Because <laughs> yeah. it's got the same, like, shoulder s- shoulder uh, saddle or whatever. Mantle? I don't know what you call that. Nice to see him wearing something different, though. Yeah. Good to see him in his civvies. And he, like, he uh, he makes an offer of, like, pulling some strings to get her a job on the entrepreneur and she's like i'm gonna try and i'm gonna try and get here on my own merit which is uh one of the most uh admirable acts of self-preservation that anybody (laughs) has ever done especially because you me and everyone else knows that her service record is so terrible she will never make it on the enterprise yeah it's sort of a letting him down easy sort of reason i think well she's letting him down but like like this is like the greatest promotion she could possibly dream of given her service record. Yeah. But she doesn't take it because she doesn't want to be anywhere near this. <laughs> this yeah. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. Another swing and a miss for Jordy. My love is a Did you like this episode, Adam? I in answering that question I want to talk about why this episode fails the Star Trek is a place test. Like there's the idea of investigating a murder is a fairly interesting premise to spring from. Whole TV why, series exist around this 
being a thing that happens every week. Like seven TV series like with related characters and a related world exist about this idea. Like this is a very fertile territory. And it's not like you it's hard to find television writers who like know how to make a fun story out of it. You know? Yeah. Like if if they don't have it in their writers room, they could just like go see if somebody wants to moonlight on it from a real cop show. Yeah, and so I started thinking about, well, how do you how do you correct what's happened here? Like, how do you make it a legit murder mystery that I mean, there have been holodeck stories with toothier murder mysteries than this episode. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Uh, there's like the uh, the emotional sine wave of of this 42 minutes is so unmoving. Like I never feel like anyone's in any danger. I don't really care about Aquiel. Like their attempts to make her an empathetic figure, I guess, come from her quirkiness and and maybe that she feels threatened by the person that she's stationed on the two person station with. But the depths are so shallow in this episode that, God, no wonder I didn't even remember this episode, <laughs> uh, having seen it before. There's just not a lot there. So, no, I didn't like the episode, but it really made me think about, like, the Star Trek is a place problem. And if that idea is as ironclad as I always thought it was. I think that the failure in this script doesn't doesn't have any negative read on the Star Trek as a, a place theorem in my head. Because it's, I mean, Star Trek is a place and you can like tell good stories in a place or bad stories in a place. Right. And when you, when you like make as many narrative mistakes as this makes and, you know, go into a story with a character that has as loaded a past as Jordy does and, and like fail to do something to dispel those problems. Uh, you know, you've just set yourself up for failure. I think. I can't remember caring less about what happened in an episode than this one. Ugh. like happy to not think about this episode again. After this. And it's too bad. Like, no one blew it uh, performance-wise. This is all coming from the page. Yeah, I mean, I think that the actress that plays Aquiel is actually, like, really strong. It would have been interesting to keep her around. You know, and another thing is, like, there is major conflict here. Someone was killed. And she was momentarily a suspect. She like has no ill feelings about it at the end it's totally down to have drinks with Jordy afterwards even though uh a a senior officer had moments before pointed a phaser at her right you would think you would think that there would be some feelings around that yeah something to, yeah. something to work through anyways when the actions of the episode appear to you know they have the ability to engender all these feelings and you don't see them. None of those feelings are realized. Like, why even tell the story? Yeah. It feels half finished. Yeah. Maybe uh, maybe uh, another draft of this script could have sorted this stuff out. Poor Roka. I mean, I feel the same way. Like, I, I feel like the this isn't like the worst episode of all time, but it feels like it has the most squandered potential of 
many episodes. Yeah. So uh, that's the thing to me. Yeah, it's one of those, like, you know, when you're on your deathbed and you look back on your life, you think about (laughs) the days you wasted doing nothing. Like, in the lifetime of a show, this feels like one of those moments where, like, they had an hour to do something. And this is what they did. Speaking of uh, wasting an hour, Adam, here we are. Do you want to uh, see if we have any (laughs) Priority One messages? Yeah, we speak from experience, don't we? (laughs) Priority One message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Need a supplemental income. Supplemental income? Supplemental. Supplemental. Yeah, it's extra. The interest alone could be enough to buy this ship. Ben, our first Priority One message... It's from Jessica, it is for Mike, and it goes like this. When I see my beautiful new baby girl, I see you! It's in her eyes, it's in her laugh, most of all, I see your face in her shitty diapers. (laughs) Fuck you, Raz! (laughs) Flavim. God damn it. Oh, he snuck that one in there. No joke. The uh, the folks at Max Fun headquarters were like, "Do you want us to like put a put a hold on any future Raz and Plevims?" That was a Trojan Plevim. That was totally a Trojan Plevim. Would they have even caught that? <laughs> wow. Hmm. Well, uh, thanks for that. Uh, I I'm starting to believe that there is no baby girl. And there are no Mike and Jessica. Is it is it just me, or does it seem a little one-sided? Like Raz is like not uh, not hitting back as often or as hard. <laughs> is Raz just like leave me alone, man? I don't like bullies. If if if, it fi- if we find out that Plavim is bullying Raz, I'm gonna feel really bad about taking part in this whole experiment. Yeah, yeah. There needs to be a safe word for Raz. Safe word is loaf. Um, wink twice if you're under duress we have another priority one message here it's also of a personal nature and it's from future Ben and it's for Ben it goes like this this better not be from Plavim (laughs) Adam is not who you think he is I don't know if the process has started yet pay attention to his hand movements it's subtle but you might be able to see the changes already. Trust your instincts. You'll need this. 50 6 C six five six one seven three six five two zero six two seven two six nine. Nice. Six E six seven two zero seven nine six F seven five seven two twenty seventy four six F seventy five seventy two twenty seventy four six F four four point nine seven seven eight N comma nine three point two six five zero w oh are those like coordinates uh i just put those coordinates into google maps and it's like downtown minneapolis it looks like Hmm. so it sounds like future me is trying to tell us something about downtown minneapolis and you possibly being a sadistic bad person well i've never been to downtown minneapolis but that maybe that's what future Ben knows all too, all too well. I mean, there's a good chance that we stop in or around Minneapolis on our tour. 
Yeah. Do you think this is a dangerous place for me to go, or it's the safest place for me to go? I mean, I can't really trust you to give me an answer, can I? I'm looking down at my hands, wondering what they're capable of. <laughs> oh, boy. I wish future me was a little less uh, cryptic about these kinds of things. I wish future you had lottery numbers. <laughs> maybe maybe those are lottery numbers and not, uh, not some password. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll never know, Adam. If you'd like to send your one password, master password to us <laughs> in the form of a priority one message, you can do that by going to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. There's no code to enter your message of 350 characters or less there. You just fill out an easy form of either the personal or corporate variety. We read it on the air like we just did. And those messages help the ongoing production of our show. Isn't that right, Ben? That is correct. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself a gooey, gooey blob of drunk Shimoda? Drunk Shimoda! I did. Uh, My Shimoda in this episode is Worf. Uh, They have the Klingon governor on board and... Worf is like disgusted that he's not taking any responsibility for the possibility that the uh, Klingons could be involved in this in this foul play, and uh, accuses the governor of being a lobivos. And it's just a moment that I love because it's a, it's another great example of Worf having no self awareness when he's around other Klingons. <laughs> like he he's like simultaneously impossibly self-aware and totally unself-aware. <laughs> like, he he cannot help slinging a Klingon insult at this guy in a way that would be super inappropriate from any other Starfleet officer. <laughs> and this Klingon guy is like, what are you doing wearing a uniform of a Patak? Like, everyone in the room knows what a Patak is. Yeah. Why is everyone in the room okay with that? They're wearing the same uniform. Yeah. It's uh, and 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 you know the Klingons and the humans are supposed to be buds. Yeah, doesn't doesn't make a whole lot of sense. How about yourself? Did you have a Shimoda? The only Shimoda that I could find was was just a character acting completely, just a character making decisions that don't make any sense, which is Riker for assigning Jordy to the investigation, and it's so inexplicable that it makes me feel like he was intending to do it only in order to see Jordy fuck up (laughs) and just to have that conversation in the hallway that he has with him halfway through. Riker's like, look, man, you gotta, you gotta back away from this one. This is a murder investigation. Remember? And Jordy's like, yeah, dude, I get it. And then like goes back into fucker. Like, (laughs) I feel like this is a test that Riker's giving Jordy and Jordy's failing big time. Yeah. You can see it in Riker's eyes throughout. Like he's he's framed in those scenes and he's always got an eye on Jordy. I don't know, man. Probably a bad assignment to be giving to one Jordy LaForge. We thought he'd come so far and yet here he is. Damok Angelad and Tanaga. One of the amazing things about making The Greatest Generation is getting to see all of the cool, creative stuff that the Friends of DeSoto make when we do a Code 47 episode. People send in 
handcrafted stuff all the time. And they send in their books. They send in paintings. They send in uh, crochet work. It's so cool. And uh, I want a few more of you to have websites to direct us to in those letters. I want you to put your beautiful work on display for the world so that when we get to look at it, we can tell people where to go to get a look at it themselves. And you don't have to know anything about building a website to build a website these days because you can use Squarespace. It'll look beautiful no matter what kind of device people are looking at it on. Hell, you can even sell stuff using a Squarespace website. Don't make your cool creative project captain's eyes only. Head to squarespace.com scarves for a free trial. And when you're ready to launch, use offer code SCARVES to save 10% off your first purchase of a website or domain. Boy, do I love a microdose gummy from Lumi Labs. I'm, uh, I'm running low, so I'm going to head over to microdose.com pretty soon and put in another order. Microdosing is a technique I use to steer my mentals in a preferred direction several times a week. And uh, I just love it because you can really predict what is going to happen and to what degree it is going to happen because these are very low-dose cannabis gummies that uh, give you an entry-level dose that help you feel just the right amount of good. And they've been super loyal as sponsors to Greatest Trek and Greatest Gen, so I hope you will give them a try. Get 30% off your first order plus free shipping today at microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. It's available nationwide. That's microdose.com. Promo code is SCARVES for 30% off and free shipping. Microdose.com. Promo code SCARVES. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. What do we have coming up on the next episode? The next episode is Season 6, Episode 14, Face of the Enemy. Forced to impersonate a Romulan intelligence official, Counselor Troy becomes a pivotal part of an elaborate defection scheme. Do you remember this episode, Adam? I do. I do remember. I remember it well. Their their futile attempt to ugly up Marina Sirtis. (laughs) 
Can't a be massive done. failure. Yeah. Well, uh, we don't have any vetoes left, so that's definitely what we're watching next. And uh, I'm looking forward to it. I remember liking yeah. this one. I'll see you there, Ben. Well, uh, I will see everybody else on Twitter and Facebook and Reddit. People, uh, people are going on there and talking about the show, talking about... There's been been a lot of lively uh, speculation about the uh, the new series coming up, and that's been fun to wade into. Um, you know, people are uh, people are tweeting at all the like CBS official Star Trek accounts, going like, "Why did you not tap Ben and Adam for this after show?" And uh, even if they do yeah. at this point, I feel like that ship has sailed. Like the the insult has already been has already been rendered upon us. Until they officially attach Chris Hardwick to the show, I think there is still a little bit of hope for us. Yeah. But uh, I would be unwilling to do such a show if it required us to be in the pocket. Yeah, yeah. I think that I think our part of our special sauce is being so far outside the pocket that we can really, uh, really dress them down when they deserve it. Yeah. Don't want to be covered in Roddenberry sauce. That's for sure. They're probably that's not sure. airing a show where. There's then an after show where the two of us just take pot shots at it and pull its pants down all night, right? Yeah. I mean, I mean that uh, makes us sound more negative than we probably would be, but... Well, ask listeners of of uh, the official Star Trek podcast how happy they are with uh, official <laughs> Star Trek ancillary programming. Yeah, that's, uh, that's maybe the one... Podcast. I think we know how this is going to go. That's maybe the one podcast whose reviews I don't mind seeing people say, listen to Greatest Gen instead. You know? Yeah, that's nice. That seems mean with any other Star Trek-related podcast, but with, uh, with the official one, I say uh, maybe they deserve it a little bit. Taking pocket shots. <laughs> uh, our thanks, as always, to the creators of the fine music of our program. Of course, I'm talking about Dark Materia, the creator of our theme music, and also Adam Ragusea, who is the creator of uh, our, of our various other sundry music bids. It's uh, we're very lucky to know Ragusea. He's uh, he's really done a lot for us. One of the greats. Well, on that note, we will be back at you next week with another great episode of Star Trek The Next Generation and an episode of The Greatest Generation that is really going to challenge my ability to make portmanteaus out of different Romulan characters. (laughs) Can't wait. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.